Howdy folks, Scotty here. Well, we seem to have dropped back into our old ways and not released an episode for about three months. Um, we are looking to come back soon and begin to annoy you on a semi-irregular basis again. But um, until then, I have discovered an episode we recorded around the end of January 2018 that for some reason never got released. So um, hopefully this will uh, just whet your appetite ready for the uh, type of quality you can expect coming forward. <laughs> until then, enjoy. The buttons are moving this time, aren't they? <laughs> Shut up. Scotty, uh, Scotty, I think it's an ungodly early hour now, and I want people to appreciate what what slavish devotion you have towards our muddy little podcast. What time is it for you? It's six thirty here, so uh, I. But I did realize this morning that for some reason. I noticed the other day the audio hijack was no longer installed on my main machine in my office I'm using. Um, so I thought I'd better get up and do that. And of course, if I haven't got a cup of tea, then I don't function. So I get up about, I think the alarm goes off about 5.50 so I can hit snooze a couple of times and get up about 10 past six. So yeah, and I'm not a morning person. So um, if people just think on this podcast, I'm a really grumpy git all the time and just, you know, no imagination just because it's six o'clock in the morning and I don't really function before 10 really. Mm. Well, much as that might seem like a sacrifice, it it is it's ten thirty in the evening on a school night. It's way past my bedtime. But such is our 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 combined devotion to you, our our half listener. <laughs> do, do you think our listener is still there, or do you think during our uh, couple of months off at the end of uh, two thousand seventeen that uh, uh, he or she went and found something else to listen to? I don't know. I have I have this terrible fear that our 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 one listener decided to pull a Vincent van Gogh and just like chop off one of his or her ears. <laughs> so she'll have to listen to us in mono. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's been a been a couple of weeks since we last recorded, which um for most podcasts would be like saying we miss some, but I'm just saying for us it's quite good. <laughs> um, hmm. So uh, what's been going on? Discovered anything new? Done anything interesting? Well, uh, in my never-ending saga to master uh, stack views, I learned a couple other tricks of things that confounded me, and I never really kind of found an explanation for it. I suspect there may be a bug, but uh, one thing about stack views is, is you can kind of think about them in two ways. You can think about them as you set the size of the stack view and it will then in turn set all the size of, of the containing views that it manages, or you could invert it. You can basically, you know, tell the stack view to stretch, you know, according to the, the total width or height of all the views it contains plus the spacing. And you can set, you know, how it decides to fill things. And you would think that basically both methods should work. And I came across something where, uh, when doing the rotation of, of the of the device and implementing, you know, view will transition to size um, and calling the method that I have to adjust for the, the next size change, which, you know, in effect really is just a rotation in, in, in this case, um, changing the width of, of a simple horizontal stack view with three elements inside and, and, a, and a fixed spacing between them simply did not work. And I kept saying, well, why doesn't it work? And I should point out that it worked upon presentation of the view. So in, 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 in well after view will appear, uh, when, when, when this particular sub view was added to a, a, a parent 
and we wanted to have a nice animation of some some buttons that were contained in the stack view. It worked just perfectly fine um, to animate the width and and everything was delightful. And when rotating and, and having you know a smaller size in, in portrait, having to to constrain that um, to a, a width of the stack view, it simply didn't work. It didn't, simply didn't work. It simply didn't work. And I kept saying to myself, I, I don't know what's going on. And I showed it to colleagues and, and they said, this should work. I don't know why it doesn't work. And so then somebody said, well, why don't you do it the opposite way? Why don't you just not set a, not have a width constraint on the stack view and just let the contained view set its size? And of course, um, that plus a little bit of elementary school math saved the day and, and everything was happy. And it just uh, reminded me once again, uh, the wisdom of doing things uh, multiple times is that you always realize that if you can't do it one way, there's likely another way to do it. And rather than wasting time trying to figure out, well, <laughs> beating your head against the the wall, why one particular method doesn't work. If you don't have the code and you can't see what it's like, which is the case with Apple's frameworks, uh, don't spend too much time unless unless you think that the way that you end up having to do it really is terribly hackish or has performance problems, with it, but that you accept to do it because it's the only way that works. It's just like one of those things to I jot down in my notes and maybe it, next dub dub I'll, I'll take it up with them. Yeah, it's uh, I guess the, the rules with Coco always when I first came to the Mac many many years ago, way after you because obviously you're far older than me. Um, it's uh, uh, I remember one of the rules. The um, people kept telling me all the time, the Mac developers time was, you know, you always learn to not fight the system. If you're fighting the system, then you're probably doing it wrong. Mm. If, if it seems really hard, you know, the jo job is Coco is to find the way Coco does it. And whether you like it or not, then just go with the flow because that's the way it's going to work. And I think, you know, um, layout stuff, you know, with all the auto layout stuff underneath and then controls like stack view or collection view that are designed to work with, auto layout it really is about you know finding the thing that makes it feel most comfortable so that it says okay i'll do this for you as opposed to trying to coerce it and persuade it to do things which is uh um may start out okay but there comes a point when it always says yeah yeah i'm, I'm i've had enough of you i'm not doing this anymore mm, indeed so that was my little bit of adventure i think other than that uh it's it's been a fun week. Uh, uh, we always have our quarterly meetings after the earnings announcement, so that's always nice. And I can't talk about anything, but it's nice to it's nice to mark the passage of of these little quarterly measurements and quarterly events where we kind of look back and see how we did and think about where we're going. So it's always fun. I have to say, I still enjoy it. So I didn't see anything about uh, Netflix quarterly earnings announcements. They're, they're public, are they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Netflix doing okay. Your job safe? Uh, yes, apparently people the world over seem to enjoy the 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 content we create. Yeah, and boy, do you uh, create a lot of content? I was just, uh, uh, I just for some reason just flicked the other day into the Netflix originals section of the thing where it's just the originals, and I thought, wow, there is a lot of stuff here right now. Mm -hmm. Good. Good one. You keep doing it, John. You keep delivering fine quality entertainment to those of us around the world. I will do that. Ah. So uh, I've had a, um, uh, I had a, well, not a week, but uh, some time this week uh, playing with the sort of Xcode build system, trying to speed up my Swift build on something I've been working on. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, because it was, I just, I'd broken some, some of the code out into some frameworks and those frameworks were then 
in the um, in the code is submodules. And I think we spoke about that last time in my dislike of submodules, so we won't go there again. Uh, or not dislike, let's say, um, wishing that there was a different way. Uh, I won't say an easier way because they're not difficult, but they're just things about it that annoy me and, and always catch me out and moving between lots of different... Um, if you're moving between lots of different uh, branches within your code base, it just becomes a little bit of a pain sometimes if they're all using different versions for of, of a fairly active framework for some reason. But anyway, let's move on from that. I'm not bitter. Um, uh, <laughs> not at all. No. Uh, but you know, the, 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 there have been quite a slowdown in the build since going to submodules and um, – it was obviously not necessarily identifying incremental builds quite the same way anymore. And, and because of some of my dependencies was building a lot and, and Swift wasn't the fastest thing to build anyway. So I decided I'd just try and you know, speed, speed the, um, the build for the system had got up to about two minutes, which isn't huge, but it's enough to be when you're the type of person I am, that I like to make a few changes and then see if I've had any impact. you know, um, you know, two minutes, you just can't work that way. It's too frustrating. Um, so just looked into some of the uh, ways I could speed that up. Yeah, nothing fancy or whatever in there. But so the first thing I tried was the new, I just thought, well, out of interest, let's see if this project would, um, runs with the new Swift build system. Because I don't know if you remember when Xcode 9 was released, there was a brand new build system in it. It wasn't turned on by default because it's, um, I think it's deemed experimental. I think that's the word that's used. Um so it's not turned on by default, but you can go and turn it on in your project uh, or workspace. Uh, so I did when I turned it on, and I discovered that my app wouldn't build at all in the new build system. It it failed. It, uh, it, the thing is, it it was very fast. It failed in about half a second. So <laughs> um, uh, with, with some stuff, and I was uh, uh, some errors about it. Couldn't um, I think it was uh, trying to. Uh, uh, I did some brief research on the errors I was getting and yeah, they weren't like syntax errors within your code. It was to do with couldn't copy certain modules and whatever else. So it's probably something to do with set of my project, but uh, I, I'm going to go back there this week, hopefully and have a look at that and see if, uh, see if I can fix those, but I just couldn't really be bothered with that last week. So um, I'll report back on that one. So I went back to looking just at the Swift compiler options and did a little bit of, you know, the old internet reading and uh, found a couple of articles and, uh, Eventually, you know, all I did was just turn on the um, uh, the Swift compiler has a option called fast whole module optimization. Um, now, obviously, when you're doing debug builds, you really don't want optimization because you know sometimes the optimizer will move code or get rid of code or whatever else. And for walking through the debugger, that gets makes Xcode a bit confusing. Um, but when you have this uh, module turned on. Uh, what the Swift compiler does is rather than um, compiling every Swift file individually um, and cross-referencing it to everything else it's done, the first thing it does is it sort of munges all of your Swift source code into a single file and then compiles the one file, which is massively faster, massively faster than compiling all the individual files. Um, so I did find uh, a few people on the internet who referenced, uh, well, actually what you can do is turn on uh, fast whole module optimization on your debug build. But then in the other Swift flag settings, turn off the optimization. But what that does is it's still, um, 
the build system will still munge all your files together as though it's about to optimize. It will then compile them all in the one file, but just not do the optimization, which is what you want in a debug build. Um, yeah, and that, that was pretty good because it, it brought the full build of the system down from uh, about 121 seconds to uh, 29 seconds, 22 seconds for a full build, um, which is a significant improvement on there. Uh, and for some reason as well, actually improved the amount of times it started doing incremental builds for me, which is a little bit worrying, but um, there we are, which are very fast. But there we are. So um, if you haven't had a chance to look at the Swift optimization stuff and you've got a, a project that's got a bit slow, that's how I solved it. Um, if that was a stupid way, please let me know. Um, if uh, there's, there's stuff there that I've just blindly wandered into the world of hurt that without knowing it, then it would be good to know. Uh, but um yeah, that's good. So I'm a, I'm a happy happy camper again now because uh, um, you know I I like to write a write, write a method, write a function, do command B, make sure it's all cool. Yeah, um, with uh, with some incremental building going back to a couple of seconds or whatever else I can I can now do that again because I wasn't going to wait two minutes every time I hit command B. So um, although I was a bit disappointed initially in not getting the build the new build system to work, which I will go back and look at, uh, I, I I feel content. Well, that is lovely. Of course, those people who use Objective C have never had this problem because Objective C builds so darn fast, anyway. That's true. One of one of its advantages. Indeed, I know. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't. I, I will say that uh, until Swift is as fast at compiling as Objective C is, I'm not going to be terribly. I, I, I'm now back into. I still love Objective C. I. I still like some things about Objective C. There are things that I miss about it, but to be honest, I I have been writing Swift virtually full time since November two thousand and fourteen. So what's that? About five months after it was first announced. So I was definitely on the Swift one, Swift two, Swift three, uh, Swift four train. Um, I have done some Objective C in that time, but it's definitely been a minority in there. And I did have to go look at some Objective C the other day, and uh, it did feel that I was going back to an arcane time of druidry and, and <laughs> mixing the bones and the leaves and making the incantations to to uh, you know uh, to get stuff. It it really. Although I like the philosophy, some of the philosophies behind Objective C, um, and the way it works, and the Cocoa frameworks work around it, as a as a language, it did feel old. Mm -hmm. uh, going back to it, that doesn't make it bad. It did, but it didn't feel like a modern language, uh, and I don't just mean because of its syntax, because of the you know square bracket syntax and the messaging syntax and whatever else. Because that's that's actually quite a cool thing about Objective C. I actually quite like that. I think it. It does make it quite readable. Um, yeah, but stuff like any time you're trying to use uh, closures, you know, blocks or anything like that, it just, um, yeah, it just, hmm. Yeah, you're right. I We'll keep coming back to it. We'll keep, you know, one day, one day, the remaining advantages of program, let's say programming using Objective-C, not necessarily the language itself, but, you know, the, the maturity of all the, of the compiler. Let's put it that way. Um, but that it, while I was listening to it, it reminded me of something that I found amusing this past week is that uh, for a kind of cooperation between multiple teams, uh, we needed to be able to use a, a CRC32 checksum. Um, and I kind of remembered, I can't remember why I, this you know memory popped into my head, but it was a problem that I had where I was trying to 
make some JavaScript and Objective C work together. And again, they had to kind of have a a, a known checksub that would produce the same results given the the same input. And so I kind of raised my hand in a meeting. I was like, I know this is a standard. Um, but we might want to just make sure that that given the same input string, we'll get the exact same checksum on all our platforms. So I'll I'll you know start an email and I'll say here's some code and here's the results we get from a couple of different sample strings in, in different languages and let's just make sure we all get the same results. And of course they were completely different. <laughs> and at first it was like <laughs> you know well obviously the objective C is is, is wrong uh, for for this language. Uh, they seem to be doing it correctly for for this language though and then somebody else with groovy is like nope nope objective c was right on this side and it wasn't even objective c it was zlibs implementation done in c that i just called um and i'm and then the java folks you know uh, uh chimed in and basically it came down to everything was slightly different and i i'm not nearly nerdy enough to to care about why it's different but was just happy to know that it was different. But I was curious to talking to somebody and that they said, well, that uh, it may just be uh, Indian issues, um, which again made me think of the the, the Dempsey songs about uh, <laughs> Indian reservations. And I thought, yes, <laughs> we should have been long past this, but it just comes down to it's uh, sometimes helpful to, to check something before everybody goes down uh, a lengthy road. Because in the end, the, the specific problem that needed to be solved is, you know, have a way of, of, of creating unique IDs for, for strings, um, which, yeah, I can't say why, but one can imagine why, I suppose. Um, and there are multiple ways of, of deriving checksums or hashes of, of, for a given string. Just, and if the first one doesn't work, keep trying. Find one. One will work. This is back to that strange, strange arcane druidic world, isn't it? Yeah, it is indeed. <laughs> it's uh, the thing is, I, I mean, all this Indian stuff. I mean, I think the last time it had any real significance to most people was the um, conversion of uh, Mac OS ten or OS ten, as it was at the time, to um, uh, from PowerPC to intel platform uh, and it was really one of the few things you had to be careful of in converting your code from um uh, the power pc base to the into the x86 um format but outside of that it's not something that people have to deal with that often maybe if you're doing network communications between different platforms uh, you maybe are more used to it exactly um but it's you know i would say so to anyone who's began developing in the last you know, a couple of years, is it something they'd even have an idea about anymore? Because it's, you know, it used to be something where well, you've mentioned when people just mentioned it, it was something you'd learned in basic computer science and whatever else. But is it, you know, is it something that's even relevant to most people anymore? Would most people be sat there saying, you know, what are you talking about? Or am I just, am I just being sort of like, you know, having this too idealistic view of the new world being a simpler world? Uh, I think that people probably don't think about it. I, it's, it's just like what I said. Most people, I, I think, uh, and I was having this conversation with somebody. It's like, don't you think the industry has changed so much that there's so many more people now that are in the industry that didn't have a, you know, kind of classic computer science background that there are plenty of things that they, they just never learned because they, they never really had to. And unless they're, they're going to do a, a very specific type of, of whiteboard interview where they need to know this particular thing, they may not simply know this. Oh, don't trust me about whiteboard interviews. Oh, whiteboard interviews. Well, you know, Oh, I I hate them more than submodules. 
They are the most obnoxious. Look how clever we are. Can you prove you're as clever as us? Assholish thing of our industry. Indeed, you'll get no argument from me on that. That's my view. And the fact that you, know, you can buy huge thick books on how to pass a technical whiteboard interview and it's all about doing, say, computer science things that, you know, I have been uh, you know, in professional software development for I don't know, 28, 29, I have some ridiculous number of years. And I just, you know, I, I did purchase this book out of interest to see what was in there. Um, yes, these are computer science problems. Yes, they are. Um, they could be viewed as uh, um, you know, interesting little bits of information. But I would say in my professional career, I've never had to do any of them uh, even once. And any time I did find myself trying to do some of them, I realized I was being a complete asshole because there was going to be um, a system framework, and if not a system framework, probably a very good, very popular, well-used library that would do this for me. Why am I doing stuff at this basic level? Let's write the apps the customers are paying me to write. And it's just like, I I, I basically, I refuse to do them. Um, if they say it's going to be a whiteboard interview, not interested in the job. That simple, which means I'm not interested in almost every job anymore. But yeah. <laughs> we are time for retirement. Mm. Ah, well, so uh, now in the the news uh, section of of our podcast, I wanted to give a little shout out um, to the folks that make Lottie because uh, they were named number one new tool of the year for um, Stackware, which I'd not heard of before. But it's just basically a developer blog, and I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, so it's nice to see that they're getting the traction that they deserve. So, so Lottie was the um, the Airbnb open source framework that took was it After Effects yes. um, stuff and turned them into core animation effects. Is that yes. correct? Uh, yes, basically took uh, there was a plugin called Body Moving which exports uh, uh, After Effects scenes and describes all the as attributes of it, the the vector shapes, the the transforms all sorts of things like that. But the interesting thing about it is that uh, it used to be you know, for a specific workflow, but now there are uh, more than a few tools that will dump out you know, JSON in the same format. So you, know, you can either call it body move-in compliant or Lottie compliant, but in the end, it was all just an agreed-upon way of, of describing uh, vector animations in, in, in JSON, um, which is not the world's most efficient way to do it. You, know, you, could, you could turn it into binary and the files would be smaller and they would presumably load and parse faster. But in the end, there's you know, the fact that JSON is so easy to read and write, it just opened it up for a number of tools because there, there's a whole new crop of, of kind of purpose-built vector-based uh, prototyping and production tools to solve the problem of, of I want something that can scale whatever size uh, rendered in, in, you know, not just in a single platform, but in multiple platforms. Um, it's nice to see these tools are out there and that this approach, even though in many ways it's just back to the future of, of what Flash did, you know, and we've talked about that before, it's still nice to see it moving forward. So it, it, it's good. Cool. Uh, do you want to hear about another joy I had this week? I would like nothing more than to hear of your joy. Okay, so was doing a little bit of planning for a feature that I know is coming up in one of the systems I'm working on, and it was uh, decided that you know in a, in a fairly um, uh, well used 
class or, or struct actually within within the application. I needed to move from just holding the key to something to actually holding the object um, uh, with a, a weak reference or an unknown reference to to it would be a, a lot simpler uh, to achieve this going forward. But this 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 um, uh, struct is used massively throughout the code base so it was always going to be so it's a fairly simple uh refactor that caused the um you know thousands of compiled time errors <laughs> everywhere um to work around and then equally going forward this this uh uh the key was always there whereas actually going forward uh for various reasons you know it now may be optional it's let's say it's valid for it to be now be nil uh, so it first it was going to move from just an, an integer key to an object and it was going to become optional. So, you know, it's, it's the night, you know, the joy of compile code is, you know, if I've been working in something like a Ruby or, or maybe JavaScript, I'd have done that and had, you know, then spent the next six weeks looking for, you know, how that affected my code base. Whereas, you know, with a compiler, a command B, and, you know, two seconds later, I know the 656 places that it affects my code base or whatever it was. And, um, and fixed it, and, and that's that's all really cool. Uh, you just go through that. That's part of the joy of refactoring stuff, uh, and no refactoring tool really can handle that situation very well. Um, you know, it can handle renaming and all that sort of stuff, but not that type of thing. So just did the, the work for that. But of course, um, because this is a project that has been done properly, we have about a 1,000 unit tests, um, of which I'd broken at least, um, you know, three quarters of them and whereas it's very similar uh yeah maybe this is just me who thinks this way whereas you know going through a cobos and fixing 700 errors that you've just caused it's a bit monotonous it, it's totally you know you get you're doing it because you've just broken it whereas fixing 700 um unit tests even though it's got the same you know it's exactly the same it, it just feels harder work yeah, you know, and you sit there and think, oh, if I didn't have these unit tests, I'd have been done by now. But equally, you know that those unit tests have saved my butt a thousand times. This 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 app is stable. This app works well. This app has far fewer bugs because those thousand unit tests exist. Um, and so it's you know it's very rare this occasion goes through. But this whole, yeah, you know, I can understand this is a point where someone will be arguing against unit testing because that just cost me an extra day, maybe even a day and a half of doing fixes and and making it work because. Um, yeah, of course, because in the unit testing before, it was just, you know, passing a valid integer when it was creating the struct and when it was being used all over the place, whereas now it has to instantiate, a, you know, um, an object and the object needs more than just an integer. It needs, you know, valid values in order for the struct, you know, the, the, the object to be valued. And also, it was actually not just going through and uh, changing things from being, you know, instead of pointing to ID to pointing to object.id, this was now actually writing more code in lots of places to do this stuff and and very frustrating. But um, it was, uh, I do keep saying to myself, you know, uh, the day I'm spending on this, um, writing this very, very monotonous code and very, very boring code in order to get, you know, these 700 unit tests to pass again um, is, you know, probably a fraction of the time I would have been spent looking for crappy bugs or maybe not even finding those bugs and having crashes in the in the system uh, up there, so it's worth it. But it was I can, it was one of these. It's been the first time in a while I've had this whole 
not moral dilemma, but this you know, tension of should there be unit tests or not unit tests? And it was only because I was having to deal with cleaning up the crap. Um, you know, should have given it to someone else to do then. <laughs> then I'd have been very pro unit test still, but it was a, yeah, it's, it was a, a monotonous day and a half there. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still convinced it's the right thing to do. Well, next time you should send your intern to do this. I should do. Okay, so next time I should get an intern and and then and then do it. Um, yeah, actually, I would say is is um, is frustrating. It might be putting if someone comes to a project for the first time, getting them to work in the unit tests uh, initially is a good, actually, quite a good way. Just like finding bugs, finding bugs and working in unit tests is a good way to get to know what the project does. Um, as opposed to giving someone a new feature or something where they've got to make lots of decisions because it basically puts you searching around the code base and becoming familiar with it and having to understand it. So yeah, it would be actually would be a good place for an intern to be, even though it's monotonous because they would, uh, they would find it. Mm. They would, they would learn this as code. Well, Scotty, maybe we should start to bring this boat back home. And if so, I would say that if you would like to be Scotty's intern, how would how would you identify yourself and make yourself known to Scotty on the internet? Well, they should identify themselves to Mac Devnet on Twitter, or of course they could send an email to feedback at ideveloper.co. With subject line. And John, if if people have decided after listening about my life this week of fixing unit tests and refactoring code and playing with build systems that I am just far too dull to spend time with, uh, and, and they want to spend time with somebody exciting, who should they get in touch with? Well, you could just beat your drums on Twitter and, and tweet me as Jembe. That's D-J-E-M-B-E, like the West African drum. Well, John, even though it is still only 7 a.m. in the morning, I have to say there are not many people I would get up for at this time of day. But um, you have thrilled and excited me. Oh, I'm so happy about that. Levels beyond belief. <laughs> Yes, most people would normally say as a supermodel, I don't even get out of bed for less than 50 grand. And I managed to get you out of bed for considerably less. So I'm, yeah. I'm a smart shopper. A cup of tea and some talking about stack view. There we are. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a cheap, I'm a cheap date. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> John, it's been an absolute pleasure. Listener, half listener, wherever you are, whoever you are. Thank you very much for listening. And until next time, <laughs> you take care. Thank you.